book of Deuteronomy, one of the five books of uh, Moses, part of what we call the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you this evening in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the wonderful and beautiful day that we have enjoyed. This is the day that the Lord has made. We do rejoice and we are glad in it. We've come together this evening to consider some things from your word, your most holy word, and pray that you will enable us to have the ability, the capacity to take it in and that it might be enacted in our lives. We long to please you. We long to do that which is pleasing in your sight. And we pray that you will teach us tonight by your spirit from your word. We pray for all of those who are ill, who are sick. Especially do we remember Linda Turner and uh, Lee Barton and these families, uh, Billy Seeley and the Tyson family and others who have lost loved ones. Pray that you will comfort them as only you can. Illuminate our minds. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his sake. Amen. Now I have entitled this little series of studies, Perfect Peace Rest. We used uh, Matthew 11, uh, 28 as a passage where the Lord Jesus said, Come unto me and I'll give you rest, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I told you that the rest that we have in Christ is not just a rest of salvation, but it is a rest beyond that, a resting in Christ. And I told you that there are three categories of professing disciples of Christ. We're all disciples of Christ. We are believers. We profess Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. So the disciples of Christ fall into three categories. I'm reviewing it a little bit for you. Those who don't consistently come to class, that's worship, class is worship. Those who come, but they don't learn because of various things. We'll cover some of those things tonight. And those who come and have a real desire, a burning desire, to have a good and strong relationship with Christ. And that is important because it is in Matthew chapter 7 where our Lord gives those fearful words that when he comes again, he will say to many who said, we did this and we did that in your name and we taught in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. That emphasizes relationship, not just making a profession of faith, not just being a church member, but a relationship. And so what we want is we don't want just the blessings of the Lord that comes with the Lord, but we want the Lord himself. We're not just wanting to use him for providential favor, but we want to have an intimate and personal relationship 
uh, with him. So if you want to get everything that I said in the first study, you can get uh, the CD. I appreciate the uh, video, audio guys. Somebody's always here. I appreciate it. Brother Dale's up there tonight. I told you that the means of perfect peace, we could first of all use uh, Robert Thiem's categories. I'm going to give you a biblical category tonight, but so I don't get ahead of myself. I told you that Robert Thiem, who was the pastor of the Baraka Church, used an interesting category to explain what I'm trying to teach you, and that was inhale and exhale. And I remember I told you that when a baby is born, they inhale. That's the first thing that happens in order to live, for their bodies to live. They must take in, inhale oxygen. And uh, if you've ever been in the room with anyone who, uh, who is passing away or passes away, the last thing they do is they exhale. They breathe out the last, their, their, their breath, wind, spirit is, is gone, and so their body ceases to live. They are alive, but their body ceases to live. So spiritually speaking, I tried to point out to you in our first study that inhaling is taking in the Word of God. And exhaling is living by faith, trusting the Lord, walking according to His Word. Now, by faith, we are reconciled to God, and it is also by faith that we live in this world. Nothing changes after you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith doesn't just mean that initial living, that regeneration, that being born again, coming to know Christ, but it means that you live in this world by faith. I pointed out to you that the word just and the word righteous come from exactly, it's the same word. You can say the righteous shall live by faith. You can say the just shall live by faith because they come from the same word. The bottom line for the first study, which is where we're going to start out tonight, is man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We looked at that when the devil came to Christ and wanted him to turn the stones to bread. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the bottom line for us is this. We are to live in this world by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And at this point, I want to say something to you so nobody I will be confused. We know that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. That's settled. We're not saved by keeping the law. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. I think we're clear on that. But what I want you to know is there is nothing in the law, in the moral aspects of the law, the Decalogue, we call the Decalogue, that's the Ten Commands, the Ten Commandments. You know, the law is a lot more than just the Ten Commandments. You have dietary laws, what you to eat, what you not to eat. You had ceremonial laws, ceremonies, 
rituals that you were supposed to celebrate. You had all of those things. But what I'm talking about is the moral, this moral aspect of the law, which, by the way, the law cannot be broken up. If you get the little lesson that I brought back when we had the Providence Theological Institute, uh, the, the lesson that I brought, I pointed out that you, the law in the Bible, the law is never categorized. In other words, it doesn't say this is a moral law, this is a dietary law, this is a ceremonial law. The law is one singular law. It's one law. It's all the law or it's none of the law. Okay? But what I want you to understand is that there's nothing in the law that contradicts living by faith. In other words, does the law say it's wrong to kill? Well, it's still wrong to kill for a Christian. Does the law say it's wrong to steal? It's still wrong to steal. All of those things that are prohibited by the law are prohibited for a Christian. Only one of the Ten Commands was not reinforced in the New Testament, and that was the Sabbath day. Everything else is mentioned at some point in the New Testament, but not the Sabbath day. We rest in Christ. That's the point made in the, in the book of Hebrews. The Shabbat, the Sabbath, the rest, this is our resting in Christ by the grace of God through faith. But what I want you to understand is there's no conflict between those Ten Commands and between the Christian who lives by the spirit of the law, walking through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll try to show you tonight, if we get to it, if not, then next week, how that really plays out. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses commanded the children of Israel to live by every word of God. Look at verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And verse 6, these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, in your heart, not just in your ear, not just in your Bible. If the words in your heart, as I hope we'll be able to get to tonight, you'll have no inclination to obey what it commands. And he says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and that word that's translated teach is a Hebrew word that means a repetitive teaching. In other words, you teach them over and over and over again. You continuously teach them uh, to your children. And thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, verse 8, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house on thy gates. Now, I like the English version. Listen to this translation. Never forget these commands that I'm giving you today. Teach them repeatedly to your children. Repeat them when you are at home and when you are away, when you are resting and when you are working. Tie them on your arms and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. 
Write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. Now, what's the idea here? The idea is that you are living and working and raising your children, leading your family, being a testimony to your neighbors according to the word of God. You are to see to it that there is a constant reminder, a constant witness that the Lord's word is paramount in your life. Like Joshua, our motto ought to be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, my friends, if we can't serve the Lord, then we need to go back and check up on ourselves. But let me say it this way. We can't serve the Lord if we don't walk with the Lord. And we can't walk with the Lord if we don't have a relationship with the Lord. And we can't have a relationship with the Lord if we aren't constantly taking in the word of the Lord. We can't breathe out what we don't take in. In order for you to exhale, you have to inhale. So you inhale, you take in the word of God, you exhale by doing some of these things, walking according to the word, confessing the word, talking about the word, with yourself, with your children, with your family, wherever you are. In other words, we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I'm going to give you tonight a more biblical terminology that says the same thing as inhaling and exhaling, Uh, And I have mentioned this quite a bit to you in the last few months. You notice right here in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says that these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might what? That you might do them. What good is learning them if you don't do them, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. Moses said, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel. I have taught you, and I have mentioned this, I say again, several times in the last few months, that this word here in verse 4, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That word here is the the Hebrew word shama, S-H-A-M-A, shama, shama, okay? Now, here, the word shama is is a biblical hearing, and it has six characteristics. There's six characteristics of Shema hearing. Years ago, I brought a series of studies on what I call Abrahamic faith. The faith that you have and that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ is the faith of Abraham, Abrahamic faith, who lived before the law, right? The, the, law, the, the, the faith by which we are saved is Abrahamic faith. It's not the faith of the law, it's Abrahamic faith. Well, this Shema hearing I'm going to apply it to us as Christians, and I want you to understand that it has six characteristics. Very simple. I'm going to go over these 
hopefully, this evening. Let me first name them for you. All of this is contained in this word Shema, and then we'll look at them one by one. First, Shema, a Shema hearing, assumes that you have the ability to hear. Number two, that you hear with attention. Number three, that you hear with interest. Number four, that you hear with understanding. Number five, that you hear with consent. And number six, that you hear with a willingness to obey. I might have said five characteristics, but I meant to say six characteristics. So a Shema hero, when he says, Hear, O Israel, here in verse 4, you remember the Lord Jesus Christ was asked once what was the most important law, and he quoted Deuteronomy 6.4, The Lord our God uh, is one Lord. And the word hear assumes obedience. When Jesus said in the New Testament, I'll mention this time and time and time again, uh, to even tonight, when he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, that's what he's talking about. If you're hearing, if you're really hearing, it's going to move you to obey. So let's, let's look at these six characteristics. A Shema hearer, hearing the word, taking in the word, inhaling, that assumes that you have the ability to hear. To have a vital relationship with the Lord, one must be, I believe, a Shema hearer. And to be a Shema hearer means you have the ability to spiritually hear the word. Not everyone, according to the Bible, has the spiritual ability to hear the word. To know what redemption is all about, we have to know what happened at the cross. To know why we require redemption in the first place, we have to know what happened in the garden. Now, if you want to, we've looked at this many, many times, and I'll bring out some new things tonight. If you want to, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 2, the second chapter of Genesis, because that's where I'm going to be for a few minutes. To know why it is that men don't have the ability to hear, they can't be a Shammah hearer, we have to know what happened in the garden. What happened when Adam sinned? Now, in chapter 2, we see that when God, Adam's father, created him, he put him in a, in a perfect environment. So today they're trying to tell us that environment makes the difference, but it doesn't. It, made a, it didn't make a difference for Adam. He was in a perfect environment, and he still fell. He still uh, sinned. But after God, Adam's father, created him, he put him in this perfect environment, and he gave him some instructions. So the voice that Adam originally heard was the voice of his father, his God, his creator, who not only made him, but loved him. So look at chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden 
to dress it and to keep it. Now, you'll notice that he was going to have work to do before he sinned. So work is not the punishment for sin. It was made a lot tougher, but work itself was given to Adam before he sinned. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now I'm going to throw something out here to you. Don't think too much about it right now. (laughs) But there are some theologians that believe that this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not put there by the Lord. It was put there by the devil. What tree did the Lord put in the Garden of Eden? He put the tree of life. The tree of life is in the Garden of Eden. So there are two trees there. There's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Now, the reason these theologians uh, say that, and I'm boiling a lot of (laughs) their thought processes down, is because we get the idea that God puts something there, and then he says, now, that's something for you to look at, but don't you you touch that. Don't you go near that. You know, it's like dangling a carrot in front of a kid. Do you remember the old story I told you a long time ago? Some of you remember it. About a child and a, uh, how many of you have been in a restaurant before and you try to eat and all of a sudden there's a bawling kid over here next to you and you can't enjoy your, you can't enjoy your meal. A lot of people don't realize you need to, you need to feed those children before you take them to the restaurant. They smell all that food, hear all that food, see people eating, they start crying and bawling. Well, there was a little boy that was, uh, about two or three years old. I'll say two. And, uh, he, he got something in his hand, and they couldn't get it out of his hand. And there just wasn't any way to get it out of his hand. And so the restaurant owner was told about it. And the restaurant owner came out, and he had a lollipop. But he had it behind his hand. The little old boy had something. I mean, they were afraid he was going to hurt himself with it. I think it was a fork or a knife or something. And he wouldn't let it go. And his parents, you know, were afraid to try to get it out of his hand. So the, the restaurant owner just pulled out this lollipop and stuck it out like that. And the little guy just dropped it and went for the lollipop because that's what he wanted. So that's the way many people say, well, God didn't put that out there. They say, well, there it is now. It's something that uh, you can look at it. It's beautiful and all that, but don't have anything to do with it. Many theologians believe that it was the devil who put this knowledge of tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord said, don't. Don't eat that. You cannot eat that. The tree, verse 17, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not have eaten it. For the day you eat, you will surely die. Now, the problem was caused in the Garden of Eden by Adam not being a Shema hearer. By not hearing and living by every word that proceeded from the mouth of his father and his God. So the evil one approached Adam through his wife. That's in chapter 3, the first six verses. Genesis chapter 3 in the first six verses. And as I told you a couple of weeks ago, the devil told Eve four lies. She said, your father... She said, God, 
uh, the devil said rather to Eve, your father God is not good. Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree? Why wouldn't he let you eat of every tree? Lie number two, your father is not truthful. You shall not surely die. Lie number three, your father is not righteous. Your eyes will be opened. He knows that if you take this, your eyes will be opened. And number four, your father is not gracious because when your eyes are open, you'll be like him. You'll be like a god. And you'll decide for yourself what is good and evil. You won't be taking orders from him, but you'll be in charge of yourself and your own destiny. And as I said Sunday, and I'm hoping to try to ease the burden a little bit this coming Sunday, <laughs> but as I said Sunday, the problem we have is with our will. That's the problem. And we don't mind kicking God out in order to have our own way. Well, it began right here in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. So Adam listened to the voice of evil through his wife. It says that when she partook of this fruit, that she gave it to her husband, and he took it from her. It says, uh, let's see, that is uh, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit she did eat. She gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, this is the beginning of the problem. All of this would have been solved if Adam had been a Shemar hero, if he'd been listening and living by every word that proceeded from the mouth of his father, his creator, his God. Now, it is important for us to realize, I'll try to bring out some reasons about this while later, it's important for us to realize that the race fell in Adam and not in Eve. That is specifically pointed out in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. That's what it says. Adam was first formed and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Adam received the original instruction. So it was his responsibility to teach his wife, and later, if they had children, to teach his children. So what are the general effects of not hearing every word of God? Number one, self-awareness. When Adam and Eve took or partook of this forbidden fruit, they immediately were consumed with self. Verse 7, the eyes of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves aprons. So they immediately are consumed with themselves rather than with their God and Father and His Word. Number two, the second effect was shame. They tried to cover their nakedness. The third effect in verse eight was fear of God. 
And ever since then, men have been afraid of God in a slavish way, like a slave is afraid of his master. And uh, then next, there was no remorse. In verse 10, when he said, the Lord God called unto Adam, verse 9, and said, where are you? And Adam, you would think right here, he'd be boohooing and everything else. But he's just as cool as a cucumber. There's no remorse here. He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He's pretty straightforward there. There's no remorse. There's no, nothing that would symbol heart, his heart broken or uh, something that might lead to repentance. No remorse. And then lastly, and this is when you really know that he's in trouble, he charges God as the cause of his trouble. Verse 12, the woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So what you think about that? First, the self-awareness, consumed with self, rather than consumed with God and with his word. Number two, shame. Trying to get away from shame, cover their nakedness. Number three, fear of God. A Slavist fear, a wrong kind of fear, verse 8. Next, no remorse, verse 10. And then finally, charging God as the cause of his troubles. Now those are the general effects that come upon men when they don't hear the word of God. People that don't hear the word of God, that will not hear the word of God, are consumed with themselves. They have a type of shame and guilt, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know why. There's one thing about it, about evolution. Evolution cannot explain guilt. Cannot explain it. Why men can feel guilt. And then fear of God. People don't want to talk about God because they're afraid of God. And then there's no remorse. People don't, they're not sorry for what they're doing. In fact, the Bible says that the time will come, and we are in, in this time now, when men will glory in their shame. That is, they will be proud of, of something they should be shamed, ashamed of. That's where we are today. And then we blame God for all of our troubles. Those are the general effects of not hearing the word of God. Then the personal effects is the guilt and the power of sin over us. And this, of course, necessitates redemption to avoid condemnation. Now, I want you to turn in your New Testament. We're not getting very far tonight, but I'm going to keep the schedule. Romans chapter 3. This is just a straightforward as it can be, and why people won't just believe the Scripture. If you believe the Bible, if you take in the Word of God, if you take sides with God against yourself, if you say, Lord, I may not understand it, but whatever your Word says is true. Whatever you say, that's the bottom line. I'm going to live by every word that you say, I'm going to live by trusting you. I'm going to trust you because I know you're not only a sovereign God, but you're a righteous God. You're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a God of mercy and love. And so I'm going to trust you. 
And I'm going to point this out, and I have pointed this out for years and years and years. People that fuss and fight and argue and try to explain away things that God says about himself, they never, they never get along spiritually. They never get along in this world. The man or the woman that humbles themselves to the Lord and says, I may not understand it, but that's what your word says. I'm going to bow to your word. Those are the people that the Lord blesses. And what we've got more and more and more today is we have people more and more and more who outwardly are confessing, well, I'm going to do my thing. I don't care what God says or what your church says or what anybody else says. That's what I'm going to do. Here in Franklin, we just recently had a vote by the mayor and the aldermen. I'm sure all of you know about this. And there were four of them. Uh, the question was whether or not that the LGBTQ and whatever else there is had a, or could have a parade downtown Franklin. Four of them voted for it. Four, four of them voted against it. And the mayor broke the tie and said, we'll let them have it. And then he justified himself in that. And he justified himself by saying, well, they're citizens, they have rights. Well, listen, every person that's in the United States does have certain rights. I grant that. But to have a parade is not a right. That's not a right to have a parade. That's something that you can grant or not grant. And they weren't strong enough to say, no, we don't want that because we feel that the Bible teaches against that. We believe in God and God's word says no. So as far as your rights uh, as citizens of the United States, you can have those rights. I knew this was going to happen years ago. I said that they were going to take all of these people and make them, classify them, begin, get people to begin thinking about them as a minority. So the same rights that are granted to minorities <clears throat> must be granted to them because now they're classified and looked upon as a, as a minority. All of this has come about because men don't want to hear God's word. Now let's look at Romans chapter 3. And this may be as far as we get tonight. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, and goes through basically... Uh, down to verse uh, 19. Let's just look at it. Paul, in Romans 1, he says Gentiles are sinners. That's the theme of Romans 1. Romans 2, he said the Jews are sinners. Romans 3, he says all have sinned. Romans 3, 23, verse 23 in this third chapter. So, okay. So he's starting out now, verse 9, are we, we Jews, are we better than they, the Gentiles? No, we've proved before that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Now what we're going to see here is the outworking of what happened to man when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's, that's all it is. This is just as clear as it can be. Everybody is a sinner. So what does that mean, Paul? Number one, verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody by nature is right with God, not one person. 
Because he knows somebody's going to say, now, wait, Paul, I mean, look, look. All right, you got 10 million people here. He said, no, not one. No, not one. That's why no, not one is in there. Then he says, there's none that understand. Now, didn't I tell you a while ago that to be a Shema hero assumes that you can understand? He says, there's none that understand. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand who God is. They don't understand what life is about. They don't understand the purpose and goal of life. They don't understand. They don't have an understanding. And consequently, second part of verse 11, there's none that seek after God. Don't you think that if men understood who God is, that he's holy, and who they are, that they're sinners and in need of a Savior, that they'd seek after the Lord? But this says none of them by nature seek after God. If you say, well, I sought the Lord, it's because the Lord sought you. As I've said many, many times, you have never seen in life or in the Bible a group of sheep out seeking for a lost shepherd. It is the, shepherd, the sheep that gets lost, right? And, and, and Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Okay? And then the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's all in Isaiah chapter 53. So we're like wandering lost sheep. Okay. There's none that understand. This is all of his all now of the sin of Adam. There's, there's none righteous, verse 10. There's none who understand, verse 11. There's none who seek God. So what do they do if they don't seek God? Why would you seek God? You would seek God to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you tell me to do in your word? They want that. So we're going to go our own way. Verse 12, they're all gone out of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They are together become unprofitable. What does that mean? It means that man in his lost state, in rebellion against God, is not in any way profitable to God. You remember when Jesus told the uh, story of the man that went out into his uh, vineyard, and there was a tree there that hadn't had any fruit on it? And he said, he said dig that, that thing up. It's taking up ground. And uh, the, uh, the, the steward said, well, look, Lord, let me, let me dig around it and fertilize it and water it, and let's see if it brings forth fruit. And then if it doesn't, then we'll dig it up, right? Okay, so there are people in this world. Why were we created? We were created for the glory of God. We were created to serve him and to glorify him. That's why we were created. And unless you find that out, life's not going to make any sense. That's what I said Sunday. So he says here, they've all gone out of the way. They've become unprofitable. There's no, there's no profit to God because they're not bringing forth any fruit to glorify his name. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. This is not talking about moral goodness. There are a lot of unsaved people that are moral people that are good citizens. This is talking about spiritual good. Spiritual good, spiritual things like repentance and faith and walking with the Lord, and walking in obedience, all those things. There's not one that does good, no, not one. Do any of you have a footnote in your Bible by uh, they are together become unprofitable? Some Bibles have a footnote, a footnote there that says useless, because that's the, that's the meaning of the term. Their throat, verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. Their throat is like an open grave. 
with their tongues they've used deceit. Men are liars by nature. We watched this program on Sunday evening. Uh, I never can think of it. it. All of you have seen it. It's uh, people send in uh, photographs of funny things that happen. You know what I'm talking about. I can't remember the name of it. And they'll show every Sunday. They'll show little children that are two and three years old. <laughs> Is that uh, will lie? They, they, they come in, and this, this child's got chocolate all over his face. And his mother will say something like, well, what happened to the, chick, to the uh, chocolate uh, cookies? Well, a, a cat came in, and I was trying to stop the cat, and, and the cookies got on me. I mean, it's just bald-faced lie. And now you might think, <laughs> well, that's why they put them on there, so we think it's funny. But I think when children are small like that, you need to teach them that it is wrong to lie. You don't need to laugh at that, because they're going to grow up and be liars. That's what they're going to grow up. You need to teach them then. This is what he's saying here. He says, their throat's an open sepulchre with the tongues of used deceit. The poison of asp, the, the old uh, saying, what is it? Words will not hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will not hurt me. That, there's never a bigger lie been told. You can be hurt by your friends and by your family and by other people with words. That's a tougher burden. It'd be better just to have a fight and get that over with. You can heal up with, from that in two or three days. But those words bear on you. And so this is what he's saying here. He says the tongue, which ought to be used for the glory of God, is now used to tell lies, to spread poison. It's like uh, James says, it's like an unruly evil. James says it's set on fire of hell. Their mouth, verse 4, is full of cursing and bitterness. Instead of being full of praise... It's full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Right now on television, these networks, and they know what they're doing. I can't get too political when I'm teaching because we won't have any time left. But uh, you've got, uh, what, 350, 60 million people in the United States? Is that close? Okay. Now, on television... When they show these shootings, I don't want one person to lose their life. Not one person. I don't want one person to lose their life from a shooting, a stabbing, or anything else. But they want to make it look like on television that a great, huge number of the population of the United States is doing that. The truth is, probably if you put all of that together, like I say, don't want anybody to get shot. But if you put all that together, probably less than a 1,000 people out of, out of nearly 400 million people. But they're blowing that up because there are people who want to confiscate your weapons in the United States so you don't have a right. The government gave the population weapons not to fight each other, but to protect themselves from a government that goes bad. And you go over and look at the communist nations. They don't have any weapons. And that's why they are taking over. Well, I've got to hurry because it's 730 their feet are swift to, uh, 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 swift to shed blood. They're violent. Destruction and misery are in their ways. They're unhappy, and they want everybody else to be unhappy. 
the way of peace they have not known. Verse 17, they don't have any peace with each other. They don't have any peace with God. That's why they don't have any peace with each other. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That all reverence for anything that's holy and righteous and godly is now almost gone in the United States. There's no fear of God before their eyes. We know that whatever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. So everybody's guilty. And that guilt came as a result of that disobedience in the Garden of Eden because Adam was not a Shamar Hira. The devil convinced him not to listen to the Word of God, but to listen to him. And as a result of that, the whole world now is lost and in a state of unrighteousness. So what has to happen? Well, the spirit has to be renewed. And I'll tell you about that next time. Adam died spiritually, and then he died physically, and all of that has to be redone. I'm going to tell you what all of these uh, marks of the Shema here is, the inhaling of the Word of God, and then I'm going to try to show you a way out of that uh, through Scripture, through the Word of God. Anybody have any questions? Seems like to me it's been a short lesson, but I'm going to try to keep my word, okay? Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will bless what we've learned tonight, that we might make it a habit to inhale your word, to take in your word. Lord, we want to learn more about you. We want to walk with you. We want to be pleasing unto you. We want to glorify you. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins because our sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. We're thankful for your word inspired by your spirit and pray that your spirit will enable us to get in your word, to take it in, to live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth that we might not only glorify you but in the process we know that if we're seeking your glory, that we'll be blessed. We thank you, Lord, for this nation. We thank you for the freedoms that we yet enjoy and pray that you will preserve them through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for his sake. Amen. All right, thank you.